Welcome to Pro Se, Law 360's weekly podcast. I'm your host, Amber McKinney, and I'm here with my co-host, Bill Donahue. Hello, hello. And Alex Lawson. Hello, friends. How's it going? It's going great. It's going great for everybody except for beloved Flyers mascot, Gritty. Yes. I knew you would want to talk about, about this. this. Uh, it might be a legal story that we're following in the yeah, weeks yeah, to come. Yeah. Criminal law. Gritty ended up in the police blotter, as it turns the out. The Philadelphia Flyers mascot is who we're referring to, the of the of the NHL. Um, he was... I don't even know how to describe him in other terms. He's a cultural icon. He's like a, a like an orange ghoul. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, um, yeah, well, that, oh yeah, his physical description, yes, but also his place in the culture is so much more than right. the Flyers mascot. But in any case, he like is the Flyers mascot, an iconoclastic piece of corporate imagery. Yeah, sure, let's um, go with that. <laughs> uh, but so yesterday, he, the, it appeared in the in the Philadelphia police reports that he had been that they were investigating whether or not he had physically assaulted a thirteen year old at a photo event um in <laughs> november uh the, the apparently the the father of the 13 year old reported to police that the mascot had his son had tapped gritty's head and then and then gritty lunged out of his chair and punched the boy in the back wow mm, even for gritty that's pretty far very yeah. disappointing if true well I mean, so the flyers said that they looked into it and the, and and conducted a thorough investigation <laughs> found nothing to support this claim so um <laughs> I mean, I that's, don't know. that's that that that's day one of mascot finishing school, as far as I know. You're interacting <laughs> with kids all the time. Do apparently, not strike them. Apparently, the Philly fanatic has been like the subject of multiple, uh, like like you know, I don't know, like accidentally bumped into people or all sorts right. of like problematic things. But um, well, they are both very like girthy individuals, sure, yeah. so you can see that happening. But yeah, I don't know. That was that that was that was disconcerting news to see. Anyway, we have uh, we have we have a non. Philadelphia sports uh, full podcast. Yeah, to, up to to Bill's about, disappointment, that is not going to be the entirety of the show talking about Philly sports. Uh, we have something pretty fun planned for today. Uh, in the past, we've done shows that sort of uh, celebrate the legal profession and popular culture, whether it's TV or movies. The Grammys are on Sunday, so we thought it would be pretty fun to talk about our favorite legal songs from Gritty to Grammy. <laughs> yes, oh, great. That, 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 that was, that, that's what we're doing. That was good. Yes. Yeah. You were you're the arbiter of that. So yep. yes, that was good. Uh, yeah, we're gonna run down a couple songs. It was a, a fun little talk. But before then, let's get to our first story, which uh, it's it's digital media, it's uh, unions. Uh, we don't have any familiarity with any of those issues. <laughs> um, so uh, this is a story. So months after uh, the, threatening to fire its employees via. Uh, a series of tweets um, if they tried to unionize. The sports website, Barstool Sports, has uh, quietly reached a settlement with the National Rela- Labor Relations Board to um, not uh, fire its employees, not threaten its employees, not do all sorts of other anti-union behavior. Yeah, I c- no, Amber, covered, you are the labor expert yeah, here, okay? I've covered a lot of employment law in my life, and yeah, <laughs> threatening to fire employees if they want to unionize, kind of the number one rule not to do. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, how do they get? I mean, the, 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 there's like bar stool adjacent controversies every other week. Let's let's like roll this one back. What what uh, how'd this all get started? So it was last year and um, uh, the staff of another sports website, the Ringer, uh, said that they were announced on Twitter that they would be unionizing um, Barstool Sports founder Dave Portnoy uh, then quickly tweeted out to his 1.2 million Twitter followers that, quote, if you work for Barstool Sports and DM this man, I will fire you on the spot, referring to someone offering uh, information to people who worked in in newsrooms about 
unions. Um, he also posted a link to a blog post from 2015 when I guess this issue had come up previously in which he said he'd, quote, smash their little union to smithereens. Um, it is, we should note, uh, illegal to to make comments like this about your uh, employees unionizing. I mean, that's what's kind of wild about this. We talk so often on the show about nuanced issues where <laughs> yes. it's like right up to the line of what you can or can't do. But yeah. this is so clearly against labor law. It's it's almost it, baffling. That yeah, this is there were, we were talking about. when it happened because it's it's so publicly played out. People posted, you know, responses where they showed that they had filed complaints with the NLRB. Sure. And, um, but so uh, news came out this week of a settlement that had been signed in early December um, in which Barstool uh, did agree with the NLRB to um, to delete the tweets and the post um, as well as uh, a video that they had subsequently posted that purported to explain how unions work to Barstool followers. Um, perhaps more substantively, the company also agreed to um, – not threaten to fire or or sue its employees for exploring unionization to to not poll employees as to their support um, for unions. More about that in a second. But um, they also are required at their I think they have four offices to post physically uh, oh, yeah. uh, a list of of you know the rights under the NLRA and email their employees. So yeah. really take proactive steps to say this is we are not. We are not threatening to fire you. Right. That all sounds like pretty standard stuff in these kind of agreements when there's a violation of labor law. So does that kind of sum us up here? So th- there's one more interesting nugget that was confirmed by the the settlement. Um, when, when all this was going down last year, um, a Twitter account popped up called Barstool Sports Union, which purported to be, quote, the labor movement inside Barstool Sports. Um, the settlement confirmed... Uh, suspicions that this was a fake account created by Barstool itself to ferret out uh, members of its staff that they were interested that might in, be interested yes right mm. which is uh, you know to, it's one thing to to overtly say like we'll fire you but it's another thing entirely to surreptitiously Do like a sting operation well, <laughs> and that's the yes. thing there's this whole other branch of labor law about you know how how um, companies can't surveil people who are trying yeah. to form a union. So this definitely is like the modern version of that, trying right. to kind of entrap these people to well, revealing themselves. It, well, because and it has a broader chilling effect, right? Like if yeah. if yeah. if you start if you start setting up fake accounts, then no one knows who they can talk to and anything else. So um, the the account, I think the interesting part the the account the night of all that all this was going down yeah. last year tweeted out quote. Would prefer to stay anonymous right now in the beginning stages of unionization, DM, serious inquiries only. So um, the settlement called that the account had to be deleted and it no longer exists. Um, Portnoy uh, has not commented on anything that has happened on Twitter or anything like that. So um, we don't know exactly what Barstool thinks about this. It was signed uh, nearly yeah. two months ago. Um, well, yeah, and they're and which is pretty surprising, honestly. Like their whole thing is like there's like so much like pro wrestling type of like kayfabe about like what's serious and what's not. Right. But the NLRB clearly thinks it's uh, fairly serious. Right. Uh, we'll move now to Texas. Uh, last week, the Fifth Circuit issued uh, uh, an interesting opinion about uh, that will sort of that was widely noticed in, in the in transgender advocacy circles because it has to do 
um, with how transgender individuals who are inside of the criminal justice system are referred to, um, you know, by their, you know, sort of new genders and their appropriate pronouns. Basically, the um, the Fifth Circuit denied this imprisoned transgender woman's request to have the court uh, to have court documents changed to reflect her new identity uh, and to be addressed by the court as a woman. The majority uh, of the panel said that basically making those sorts of changes to like the court's documents uh, would be a quixotic task. Uh, that was a direct quote. Be a quixotic task for the bench and would also raise questions about sort of judicial impartiality relating to those issues. Seems like a lot to unpack here. Yeah. What was going on in this particular instance? And then we can get into some of the like broader issues at play. Yeah. I mean, if you're even mildly online, you know, the issue of addressing people by their proper pronouns pops up in any number of contexts, whether you're talking sure. about in, in regards to, you know, at, at a university or on the job or any other sort of accommodation. This is interesting because it's it deals with how they are addressed specifically within judicial proceedings. Yeah. Um, and so, like I say, uh, the request that was at issue here was made by a transgender woman whose name is Catherine Nicole Jett. Uh, she pleaded guilty in 2012 to attempted receipt of child pornography when she went by the name Norman Varner, um, and she received a 15-year uh, prison sentence for that. Uh, she then came out uh, as a transgender woman in 2015. She began receiving hormone therapy and preparing for a gender reassignment surgery. She uh, then wrote a letter to the district court that basically asked for records of her, of hers, you know, sort of path through the justice system uh, to be changed to reflect her new identity and to uh, be addressed with female pronouns. The district court denied that motion um, for a number of technical reasons. They questioned, like, the legality of the name change mm -hmm. and some other things. But that sort of set the stage for this appeal that we're talking about uh, that, that came down last week. So she lost this appeal. But my understanding is that the the appeals court went even further yeah. in, in, in sort of discussing the, the broader legal questions at play in the case. Definitely. Um, so, like I say, she lost to the district court. But the district court tackled it head on. It... it, it brought up the question and examined it and ultimately said no. But the Fifth Circuit, uh, the majority opinion was 2-1 decision. We'll get to the dissent in a second. Um, but the uh, basically said that the district court does not even have jurisdiction to examine these types of issues. Uh, they basically said that this type of request does not fit into any existing criteria for sort of you know, what are known as post-conviction motions, where you want to get something changed for, like, a clerical error mm -hmm. or, like a, or, or an error regarding your sentence or things like that. Uh, so that's, that's sort of, like, between the lines, they said, sort of, hey, look, there's no law that sort of says we have to examine requests like this, so you can't even take it up. You don't have jurisdiction. Uh, but the opinion went even further than that. The judge who wrote it was uh, Stuart Kyle Duncan, and he basically framed these pronoun adjustments as something resembling like an, an existential threat to the judiciary itself this is a very striking quote. In cases like these, a court may have the most benign motives, uh, and he's talking about benign motives for granting someone's request mm -hmm. for the pronouns to be changed. Yet in doing so, the court may unintentionally convey its tacit approval of the litigant's underlying legal position. Even this appearance of bias, whether real or not, should be avoided. And what he's getting at there is that... There are a number of cases that are working their way through the courts now where, like, the very issue of transgender identity is disputed sure. and, and, and how much legal weight it receives. So he's saying that, 
by give my by making this concession to you, I am sort of making new law in a way that is inappropriate. That's a complicated argument, though, because yeah. by denying the request, aren't you also showing a bias sure. in that direction? So yeah. really, the court is left with no matter what they decide to do here, mm-hmm. someone could cry foul that they're showing a bias. And there are various other ways in which the way that a, a, a judge writes an opinion could perhaps, if read, you know, in a certain light, be read to to you know, sh- show bias in some way, but it right. doesn't mean you need to, to sure. that, that that needs to be the, the, the case in every situation. Yeah. There's so many issues like this where it's the fact that there's discretion and not a clear rule one way or the other is inherently the problem. That like, yeah. if there yeah. was just a clear standard here that like we, we mm-hmm. never do this ever or we always do this anytime it's asked, yeah. there would be no bias issues because it, we just know the bright line. Yeah, he made some other arguments as well. He trotted out the slippery slope argument, which was sort of he he had reservations about the various range of pronouns that people can use and if that have come into the lexicon in the last several years as the transgender movement has gotten more vocal um, and that sort of adopting these will just create confusion, things like that. Um, I also think it's important to note here, uh, uh, the judge, Duncan, um, he really came under criticism when Trump nominated him to the bench in 2018, specifically on this issue. He had done work for a Virginia school board um, that was opposing a transgender student's uh, request to use the boys' bathroom. Okay. And sort of many advocates chimed in at that time and were saying, you know, th- th- this is the kind of threat that you're going to bring in. And so it's it's interesting that this this issue happened to fall to him on the Fifth Circuit. He used uh, the term gender dysmorphic to describe Jet uh, in the opinion. He referred to that as a condition. All of that sort of codes transgender issues as, you know, being, you know, sort of like, you know, in affliction. And that, mm-hmm. is, right, that right. is, of course, very sensitive territory for the transgender community. Dro- drove a lot of opposition when this opinion came down. Well, you also mentioned uh, earlier that there was a dissent. So what yes. did we hear from the opposing voices? Yeah, um, the dissent came from a uh, Judge James L. Dennis. And I thought it really kind of... Um, really clarified a lot of like the debate that you hear over transgender pronouns like in society. Mm-hmm. So Duncan is talking about these these various threats that doing this will have to the to the process to norms and procedures. And Dennis sort of took a smaller view and said we are really just sort of being asked to accommodate as like a simple courtesy here and you know, he he basically said that Duncan was maybe overreading. Um, this is uh, this is from the from the dissent. Sort of odd. Uh, the dissent uses female pronouns, but does refer to Jet by her uh, prior male name. So take that for whatever. But anyway, the the dissent goes. Uh, in my view, Varner is simply requesting that this court in this proceeding refer to Varner using her preferred gender pronouns. Uh, he went on to add that, quote, many courts and judges adhere to such requests out of respect for the litigants' dignity. So he really is just sort of saying, you know, we're just being asked to sort of do a solid here about the way that this person right. identifies themselves. They, you know, th- th- this judge clearly thinks that that she has the right to ask that and it, it's not unreasonable for the court to grant it. But I suspect this is not the last time. Uh, an issue like this will come before the court. These things are bubbling up every day, um, but uh, but a very interesting opinion, yes. Guys, we've hit my official favorite part of today's show. I'm super psyched to talk about this. 
We're doing the best in legal music. What a day. That's correct. Uh, the Grammys are on Sunday. This is probably the least relevant of all the major <laughs> award shows. We are injecting some relevancy into it uh, by talking about... We've, we've done yeah. shows in the past that have been pegged to the Oscars, our yep. favorite legal movies... Uh, of course, back to the Emmys, our favorite legal TV shows. I it think, seemed logical. And with those, we did, you know, full full episode length. We're going to make this a segment rather than a full show. There isn't quite as much in terms of legal songs as yeah. there are in terms of legal also, movies or TV. I also just forgot that the Emmys were on Sunday until, like, our meeting at, yesterday. So. I keep I keep pitching you guys to, to do some sort of, you know, the Country Music Awards, the VMAs, obscure other awards. J.D. But, Power and Associates. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, I mean, we'll get there, but yes. for now, Grammys first. Uh-huh. Legal songs. Yeah. So we're gonna go through some of the ones that we wanted to mention that we weren't that weren't our like our like pick for, right. for our for specific l- legal songs, legal lyrics, stuff like that. Yeah. Um I mean I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention Warren Zevon's Lawyers, Guns and Money. I'm so oh, glad. Sure. I'm so glad you did this. I figured that had to be an honorable mention or else we would all pick it as you know. So we wanted to get that one out there first. My 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 lasting memory of that song was actually at Bill's birthday one time. We ended at a <laughs> karaoke bar and it was very near the end of the night and one of his friends got up and sang Lawyers, Guns and Money. Oh yeah, he did. Among the most inebriated individuals I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life at that time. Uh and did a hell of a job anyway. So yes, wonderful That's song there. Great. I love that as an honorable mention. Yes. Um, I One of my honorable mentions uh, is the song Testify by Common. Have you ever heard this song? Oh, sure, yeah. This is, uh, is it, there, there's a cover involved. That's, it's a cover of uh, Innocent Till Proven Guilty by the 1970s group Honeycone. Um, and it involves a woman who is in a sort of a relationship with an abusive man. Uh, and then he is on trial for like gun possession and drug charges, mm-hmm. and she manipulates the judge and jury uh, to convict him, even though she is the one who actually committed the crimes. Yeah, got a nice hook there. Yeah, it's yeah. good. For my first honorable mention, you guys know I like like indie sort of soft. You are the you are the biggest music, music head of mm. of this. So my group, yes. my first honorable mention pick is by Capital Cities. It's Kangaroo Court. Do you remember that song? I don't know that no. song. Uh, okay, part of the reason I'm picking this and this will just spark everyone to go do this if you're listening mm-hmm. to me talking right now. It has an awesome video that's just such a joy. It's got these anthropomorphic animals in it, but it's like live action. They're real yeah. people. One of them is um, Darren Chris, who was on um, Glee for many years. Oh, okay. So anyway, it reminds me a little bit of one of my favorite shows. It was BoJack Horseman, which is maybe part of the reason I sure. like the song. But uh, it's just a fun one. Yeah. Uh, one of my other honorable mentions um, is Hurricane by Bob Dylan. Oh, sure. Which oh, is the, uh, the classic. The eight-minute chronicle of Reuben Hurricane Carter, who's a... a boxer who was wrongfully accused of murder yep. was in prison for many years the song was recorded in 1975 a full 10 years before he yeah. was ever exonerated great song uh, great movie yeah. uh, with Denzel Washington love that song well sticking in the uh, the the decades old realm of uh, people who have had biopics made about them uh, great hook by uh, you <laughs> Johnny Cash Folsom Folsom Prison Blues I considered that too that's such a good one shot a man in Reno just to watch him die etc etc he, he had a lot of songs I had, I had cocaine blues on my short list which also also involves him committing a crime and going through the right. Yeah, process. I think I think John Cash had some some brushes with the legal system. Yes. So uh, I'm going to go with something a little unusual as my next honorable mention. It's "Don't Be a Lawyer," which is a song from the television show My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Now let me explain. <laughs> wow. So uh, I think it's maybe canon on the show already. I don't really like musicals, which is you know. You can't say that out loud. I don't loud. know if too that is canon, but I don't know that. I don't. I don't know that you can say that out loud too often in New York City. People get really uptight about me saying it. But we are mere blocks in the theater. <laughs> I know district. it's. Ter- I'm terrible, but I've had tons of former law school classmates, 
people that work with us at our own company sent me this when it first was on TV because they all thought I would get a kick out of it. And they were sure right. Because you stopped being a lawyer? <laughs> well, I mean, I do work here. I'm not That's actively true. practicing law. I did stop. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's one of the songs in the show. And it's really funny. I just want to read a couple lyrics about why I like it so much. Here's some free advice I'm giving. Don't be a lawyer. Quickest way to ruin your life. The job's inherently crappy. That's why you've never, never met a lawyer who's happy. And then here's my favorite verse. Law school debt, daily regret, is that what you dreamed of as a kid? Or did you hope one day you'd find a way to spend four years working on a pharmaceutical company's merging with another pharmaceutical company? <laughs> it's just so spot on to what we write about every yeah, day here. I definitely. just think the whole thing is full of these zingers that only lawyers actually like. So that's also the irony of it. It's telling you not to be a lawyer, but it's much, much funnier Very if you are. Very inside baseball. Yeah. yeah. Uh, should we get to the main? Uh, we just, we're just like doing our favorites now, right? These I think are, so. These are our, our singular so favorites of the genre. Each one of us has selected our favorite of the genre. All right, who wants to go first? You want to go first? Sure. Okay. <laughs> So my entry is uh, is Get Down, uh, a 2002 jam by Nas. Yes. Uh, it includes a fairly dark and perhaps graphic bit of courtroom drama that uh, we're going to play for you now. Pre-child hammering is over, it's real for the soldier. Walks in the courtroom, the look in his eyes is wild. Triple homicide, I sit in the back aisle. I want to crack a smile when I see him. Throw up a fist for black power, because all we want is his freedom. He grab a court officer's gun and start a squeezing. Then he grabbed the judge, screams out, nobody leaving. Everybody. So there's a fascinating story here that we're going to tell in a second that the, the lyric is a reference to a, a real thing. But we just wanted to make clear that it's, it's you know, because it is a dark and sort of violent series of imagery that yes. the, the real incident that, that inspired this did not involve anyone actually getting hurt. Well, that's uh, good that to there know. Was a, there was a gunshot in a, in a courtroom, but no one was hurt. And yeah. I mean, I think it's an, uh, it's an interesting pick because of something that happens in music a lot where there's lots and lots of rap songs that deal with criminal law there's just tons of them right um so yeah yeah the hip-hop as i was researched i was like oh yeah this makes sense there's lots yeah, of there's friction obviously with the legal community mm -hmm. right yeah. um so i was digging around about the song and these lyrics in, in particular um and i was on genius which allows people you know to annotate little annotations songs yes. and there was a, a verified annotation from nas himself about what like what the lyric was was referencing it was referencing two real people um, one was a, a guy he knew who just threw up a, a fist uh, during during a, a court proceeding. The other far more serious thing was the was the latter incident when a guy grabbed uh, a court officer's gun. He said it was a reference to um, it was made in the song because when he was in the studio in 2002, he saw local news reports about it and realized he knew the guy's mom or had some connection yeah. to the guy who it had happened to. So I, I dug a little deeper into it and um, there's actually a New York Times article oh, wow. from 2002 breaking down what had happened. Um, the lead, a man who had just been convicted yesterday in Manhattan criminal court on a drug dealing charge tried to seize a court officer's gun, which was fired once during the, during a struggle before other officers subdued the convicted man, authorities said. Um, nice. One other quick, quick uh, anecdote from the story before we move on, um, which I thought was really, really great. Quote, 
After the shot was fired and the officers had Mr. Burgess pinned to the floor, Judge Zweibel rushed down from the bench and put his foot on Mr. Burgess's outstretched hand, preventing him from firing the gun again. So a little wow. real-life heroism from a uh, from a judge. This definitely would have made offbeat uh, if Pro Se existed in 2002. That's right. Um, I'll go next. Uh, we will stay in the hip-hop realm. Uh, and mine is a little bit of a cheat because there's actually only one verse that actually addresses... Uh, the legal system, but it's pretty iconic verse. I am, of course, talking about Jay-Z's 99 Problems. Well, I, I considered that one, too. That's such a good one. So, just to be clear, just for all the <laughs> listeners, we did not know what we were all picking, and we made a point to to really wall ourselves off so we didn't know. Alex and I have now picked uh, songs from from n- notoriously beefing That's true, yes. rappers, Nas and Jay-Z. And Jay-Z. Go ahead. Uh, well, I mean, the song's second verse contains uh, very important and very astute lessons about the Fourth Amendment, and uh, search and seizure uh, rules. So let's <laughs> let's take a listen. Uh-huh. I could I could keep it's going. A, I love I, that reference to having passed the bar. It's so good. It remains a banger. Yes, um, it's great. Uh, it uh, famously I don't know famously, but a couple of years ago, a uh, Southwestern University law professor named Caleb Mason did a comprehensive legal analysis of the second verse. Oh. Uh, it was published in the St. Louis University Law Journal. Uh, it's great. He goes line by line and sort of talks about, you know, your rights if you are pulled over by the cops and all this stuff. He's a, uh, this is just a, uh, an excerpt from that article. He says, in one compact, teachable verse, the song forces us to think about traffic stops, vehicle searches, drug smuggling, probable cause, and racial profiling. And it beautifully tees up my favorite pedagogical heuristic life lessons for cops and robbers. Love uh, it. That's amazing. Great stuff from the guy. I also, I just, it really tickles me that Jay-Z is doing the voice of himself and the police officer. Yeah. Uh, this also got recycled in uh, his mashup album he did with Linkin Park called Collision Course, where one of the guys from Linkin Park was the cop. Loved that. Um, I also, another karaoke story, I sang this song uh, the first time I ever went to karaoke with uh, the woman who is now my wife. Wow. Oh, look at that. Because I knew she was a huge Jay-Z fan, and I was like, I'm really going to go for it. I thought <laughs> I yes. thought when you were telling that story, you were going to tell all those other times you've sang Linkin Park songs uh, <laughs> while we were at karaoke. Well, that's not really newsworthy. I mean, that happens all the time. Uh, <laughs> but yes, uh, love 99 Problems, uh, love verse two. It's a great song. I love that you guys both did hip-hop picks. I went a different direction. I went with a song I just really like a lot and to me when before even sort of researching or looking anything up this is the first thing i thought of and i just stuck with that instinct i have picked i fought the law Love and it. the version i picked was by the clash but my producers have pointed out to me that i should say it's a remake it's the crickets did it in i think the 60s yeah. and uh, bobby fuller ford did another version in the 60s it's been covered a million times it's one of those yeah. songs yeah. yeah uh dead kennedy's does a good uh, version of it as well i mean i don't even know that we need to play it because everybody knows it but let's do it anyway because i do like it, it. I 
I do find it interesting that all three of us have chosen criminal law stories. You know, none of us hit on patent litigation. <laughs> I was thinking about this. I was uh, like, you, you, you don't see a lot of antitrust songs, you know, as it turns out. <laughs> I, I would listen to them and people would just make what we want. I know. Uh, but part of the reason I think this is a great one is that earlier, as an honorable mention, I picked a song that was Don't Be a Lawyer, and that uh-huh. seems so cynical. But to me, I thought the law is actually the opposite if you're listening to it as a lawyer, because... Yeah. We, on a good day, believe justice is served by the system we work in. We do want the law to win when someone's <laughs> done something bad. So I, uh, it's, it's got that vibe. Definitely. I went to high school with a guy who often greeted me with, I fought the law and the law son, he would say. <laughs> That's good. Yes. That's you good. know, I love that. Uh, yeah, those are all great choices. I want to just literally rattle off like a bunch of others sort of on the short list I had. Uh, Mrs. Officer by Lil Wayne, mm-hmm. uh, where he has sex with a female police officer mm-hmm. who pulls him over. Uh, I shared with the uh, I shared with the group Lawyers in Love by Jackson Brown, which is barely a song about the law, but it references lawyers in love, uh, lawyers and guns and money I had. Well, don't, and I think we should also mention uh, Breaking the Law by Judas Priest. That's a good one. Breaking the Law, Breaking the Law. (laughs) It was worth it just to hear you do that. Another one I had on my short list was I Shot the Sheriff, which classic. Turns out that's illegal, uh, (laughs) as as it turns out. Uh, uh, Legal Man by Bell and Sebastian. You ever heard that song? Uh, I was surprised you didn't go, uh, Bill, uh, Trauma by Meek Mill, which uh, documents his... Uh, tumultuous journey through the sure. uh, criminal justice system. Uh, also, uh, Atlantic City by the band is sort of about union skullduggery run amok. <laughs> the sure. uh, the, uh, the DA uh, can't get no relief. Love He's it. Uh, beleaguered in that song. You know, my favorite part about doing this segment with you guys is that we have given our listeners so many different genres to think about. Yeah. We've really hit something that's good for everybody. You know what we should do? We should make a Spotify playlist of all these and share it with uh, oh, share it with the pro se heads out there. That is a great idea, yes. This has been my favorite show ever, guys. Thanks for being with me, Bill. See you again next week, guys. And Alex. Keep on rocking. We'd also like to thank our producers, Kelly Roncano and Stephen Trader, our graphic designer, Chris Yates, and contributing reporters, Andrew Strickler and Adam Lidget. Music for the show comes from Silent Partner. If you like our show, do us a favor and leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts that helps other people find us. For more information about anything we've talked about today, check out our website. It's law360.com slash podcast. Thanks and see you again next week. So guys, you hit almost every single song that I had on my on my list there, except okay. for one. There's a Weezer B-side called Jamie, which is essentially a love letter to their first song. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is why this is why we have you in the Just room. Just thought I'd throw that in there That's too. Good.